Alrighty, you guys, welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. I'm Matt, joined today with my co-host Richie. Got an exciting show for you guys today. We are going to go over the dead ball rumor that is floating around Major League Baseball, kind of get, dive in depth and see what, how that's going to affect our fantasy teams this year. We have two players that we expect to take the biggest effect from this going into this year as well. And then our second segment today is going to be talking about two players that we expect to make the biggest leap in this 2021 fantasy season. So that should be exciting. And to wrap things up for you today, we are going to go over the NL West, break down the rosters, and see if there's anybody that catches our eye. So, Richie, I'll bring you in now. How are you doing today, bud? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Matt, as yeah. always. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. We get, get to talk a little baseball in February as it's, what, four degrees there in Wisconsin? <laughs> Something like that. Negative 25 with the windshield they're saying this week. And that is why I moved. <laughs> so let's uh, let's kick it off with a little fun. We'll do our icebreaker today. Today we're going to do our favorite player over the last 10 years that may have made an impact or may be an emotional substance for us. Who's your guy today, Richie? Uh, there's so many, but the one that <laughs> sticks out when you ask that question, I would have to say Matt Carpenter in, I believe it was 2018 where he went on a surge of like hitting like 20 homers in like the span of two months. And the reason why he sticks out so much to me is obviously for that home run surge, but because I didn't even start with him on my team, I actually had Aaron Sanchez. And for those of you who've been playing know that Aaron Sanchez is very injury prone and he started out 2018 kind of hot and I was looking to move him for a third baseman and our buddy Reed bought into the buy buy high sell low kind of thing so I bought Matt Carpenter for cheap when he was batting 170 at the beginning of the year and sold Aaron Sanchez when he had like a 10 strikeout game and was like two innings away from a perfect game so it was uh it was very nice to have but what about you Matt what what sticks out to you for most memorable player yeah, I'll, uh, I'll touch on mine in just a minute. I want to kind of touch on your Carpenter trade. I, I remember 2018 very fondly because me and you were big into listening to the podcast community back then, that being the fantasy baseball community. And a lot of the podcasts were really encouraging teams to hold on to Carpenter because his advanced metrics looked great. And you made that trade, and I thought at the time that was an awful trade. And lo and behold, you rode him to about, I think, two and a half months of constant week-to-week, head-to-head wins. It was truly a fantastic trade. And to Reed's perspective, what a great guy to trade rape. Always there when you need him. (laughs) But my guy is going to be Gary Sanchez. He got me a championship in 2016. I had picked him up, I think it was mid-August. Put him in my catcher spot. And if any of the podcasters remember, he had a a horrid... Uh, early start but he went on a tear in September I think he had a home run almost every other day and I was just praising Gary Sanchez kind of frustrating because he's fallen off but Gary Sanchez will always be my most memorable pickup and also emotional attachment but we'll kind of move along I want to get your thoughts Richie on this dead ball rumor that kind of came out this week and maybe how it's going to affect baseball what do you what are you feeling about with this well I'm a little nervous for the hitters obviously it sounds like they're going to add maybe a tenth or two tenth or a fifth of grams to the weight and possibly loosen up the seams, I believe, which in turn could create more drag on the ball and make it carry less. I, 
at least from an article from The Athletic, it says they're projecting 5 to 10% decrease in home runs. Okay. So we'll see how that plays out. But that, that could be huge. That could be 5 to 10 homers for some people. Yeah, oh, no, that's I, wrong. Well, yeah, yeah. I around agree. five homers for some people. I agree, and I think what this finally does is it amplifies the big home run hitters that we've had in the past. You know, uh, Judge, Stanton, maybe Jordan Alvarez, these guys might finally provide value because they may be the only ones hitting possibly 40 home runs. I think time will tell. What do you think from a pitching perspective, though? Do you expect some of these mid-tier guys to elevate their game and possibly touch into that ace mentality? Yeah, it's going to depend on the pitcher. It's those ones that are home run prone that give up a lot, and those are going to be the ones that rely on the fly ball. Uh, the the ones who are ground ball hitters, you know, focus on their their curveball, splitters, uh, deception probably will won't, won't have much change for them because, like I like they said, their their game is ground ball, so the ball being lifted in the air won't affect them as much. What are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. And even with that, I think, guys, I think you look at you Darvish, especially with his splitter. You Darvish, from time to time last year, gave up a few home runs. And I think, to your point of these ground ball guys, they're going to kind of stick with their same numbers. But I even expect their ERAs to drop just a little bit. I have, We have some numbers for you later on with some of the guys that we really like that we'll touch on based on that. But I'm really excited to watch pitching this year. I think it'll get back to kind of a balanced game. Why don't you uh, Why don't you go ahead and give us your two two players that you think will be affected the most by this? Yeah, so I'm going to start with a pitcher, and that's going to be Clayton Kershaw. According to Baseball Savant, he allowed eight home runs last year, and they have a category where you can look at home runs as no doubters, doubters, and mostly gone. Um, that meaning no doubters, like as soon as it's off the bat, you know it's gone, and doubters meaning it just clearing the fence. Out of those eight home runs, Baseball Savant categorized six of them as doubters, meaning they very well could have not cleared depending on the park. So if you're looking at that, could be two home runs that Kershaw would have allowed. And if you look at the underlying numbers, he allowed um, an average of 87.8 miles per hour on his exit velocity and had 1.23 home runs per nine. So now we all know who Kershaw is. He's getting older, but... I think decreasing that home run rate will definitely improve and kind of boost his value just a little bit. What about you, Matt? Give us one of your guys. I love those numbers for Kershaw. Those are those are true facts that are going to showcase hopefully this season for Kershaw. And again, we know Kershaw. He's got to stay healthy, but he's still one of the, the best pitchers in the game, and I really look for him to have a great year. But my player is going to actually be Framber Valdez a pitcher that I have on a few of my dynasty teams, and a player that I was actually very concerned about going into this coming year because of how many hits he gave up. Valdez was a high strikeout guy. He went deep into games, but on on any given game, he'd be at 8 to 10 hits, and he'd be scaring me half to death in the fourth inning with two or three guys on, and he'd find his way out. The only real big stat I have with Framber Valdez, his his average hit below was 91.4, so coming off the bat, a little hot for Framber, but still kind of in the in the middle range, in the median range. Uh, hopefully with this dead ball, some of those hits that he had, some of those home runs will be uh, significantly lower, and hopefully his ERA will drop as well, and that'll make him that much more valuable. If you can have a pitcher that goes seven innings, gives up eight hits, 
and only allows two runs instead of four runs with 10 strikeouts, you're talking about top 20. So I really look to see Framber Valdez take advantage of this dead ball. How about batters, Richie? What are you thinking? Um, before we move on to batters, I just want to give the listeners a little idea. Kind of when we talk about exit velocities, I think like a good range to categorize it is, is anything around 95 miles an hour is on the very high end. And when you get to that 80 to 85 mile an hour as an average, that's on the low end. So when we say guys like Kershaw have 87.8 miles, that's closer to that 85 on the lower end. So when you say, what was it, 90 for Valdez, it's kind of right in the middle. Yep. But just kind of give our listeners a little background. But for hitters, I've I've got two that stick out to me. The first one is Kevin Biggio, second baseman for the Blue Jays. He had eight home runs last year. However, Baseball Savant categorized half of them as doubters, and only one of them was categorized as a no-doubter, meaning he very well could be in line for very few home runs this year. I know he's kind of higher up on the second base rankings, so I, I just don't see the power production coming from him, and I'll be surprised if he hits more than 15 home runs this year. And then additionally, Cabrian Hayes for the Pittsburgh Pirates. A lot of people around the league think he's the real deal and going to make that big jump, but he had five home runs last year in the time that he was up, and none of his home runs were no doubters. So I do think he's got great contact numbers, but I, I think on one of our previous podcasts when we were talking about him, I thought he could maybe hit 20 to 25 home runs. I no longer think that's going to be a possibility, and I think he'll be right around that 15 to 20 range as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's the truth, though. I think Cabrian Hayes has great upside, but with this, this rumor floating around, if it is true, I fully agree with you. I think he's still a great ad at the end of the draft, but again, look for a, a contact guy. You know, He's going to be that. He's going to be like a match or gold. He's going to be looking to get on base and get in. But in Pittsburgh, it might be a little bit of a challenge for anyone to drive him in. We will have to see. And the other thing I want to mention too is with them loosening up the seams, if this rumor is true, they're saying the ball might not be as bouncy. So those people who rely on hitting those gaps and doubles, the ball might not bounce and go as fast. Mm -hmm. So those outfields that have those defense like a Byron Buxton with the speed out there, they'll be able to shorten up on those doubles or triples, so we might see less of those as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that might be kind of to show with what Milwaukee just did with their infield, you know, kind of a strong emphasis on defense. These teams that go with a strong emphasis on defense may really reap the reward of this. We'll have to see. I think April will be a great telltale sign of what to expect. I'm going to go ahead and uh, kick off my batter, though. I actually picked Will Smith of the Dodgers. He had nine total home runs eight in the regular season, one in the postseason. He's been a great player since he came up in 2019. And I have watched a lot of the Dodger games being here on the West Coast. And I'll tell you, a lot of Will Smith's home runs have just cleared the wall in Dodger Stadium. And as you kind of explained to the listener, the doubters, the uh, no-doubters, have a specific scale on Baseball Savant based on the parks that they would or would not get out on. And eight of Will Smith's home runs, so eight of the nine, were actually doubters last year. So that could be a significant difference for Will Smith coming into this season. You might see those home runs that he hit die on the warning track out there in Dodger Stadium. Still like him as a player. Still think he's a top five catcher. But in the, home, the 30 home runs I thought he could possibly hit in a full 120 start season, I think are going to be significantly lowered. I expect him to be 15 to 18 home runs this year over those 120 starts. Again, we're going to have to see how April plays out and kind of gauge our teams from there. Kind of moving along here, uh, we're going to go into segment two for the listener. 
we want to go ahead and touch on two players each that are going to make the leap this coming year. Richie, why don't you go ahead and kick it off with one of your guys? I'm going to start with a hitter, and that's going to be Nate Lowe, first baseman now for the Texas Rangers. Uh, originally was on the Tampa Bay Rays. In his time there, everybody thought he was a great prospect. He just didn't have the playing time. As we all know, Tampa Bay likes to rotate their guys and mix and match depending on what type of pitcher, lefty or righty. But it's looking like in Texas, he's going to be their first baseman for the long haul, and he's going to play majority of the day. I like his exit velo at 91.3 in 2019. In 2020, he only had 88.9 exit velocity on average. However, he only did play 21 games and had 67 at-bats, so that's a very small sample size. So I think it will get higher to that right around that 91. So I think he can hit for um, decent power, maybe 20, 25 home runs, but I see him as a 25, maybe 30 on the high end. Uh, for home runs this year and batting 250 260 average is what he's projected for and right now on ESPN he's uh, ranked as the 35th first baseman off the board at 283rd overall so you can literally get him for cheap nothing at the end of any any of your drafts for the most part Um, maybe not with Matt now that I've revealed my (laughs) secret weapon but what about you Matt let's hear one of your players Yeah, so kind of sticking to that first baseman um, mentality here, I've actually picked Evan White, who had a lot of traction coming out of uh, what was spring training last year, and then we had to obviously pause until the season started. He definitely didn't live up to potential or expectations, but the numbers I really like, very similar exit velo to Nate Lowe, Evan White had a 91.7 exit velocity on average. That's pretty good. Uh, His Launch angle, though, is 13.7, so very middle of the pack. He isn't really swinging up at the ball. I think that might be a tendency of his rookie season and just trying to come into the majors and make contact and get acclimated. To kind of in reference, Juan Soto's uh, exit velo last year was 92.1. So when you're talking about low and white, these guys are right around the same range as some of the superstars in the league. And also on top of that, Lowe's hard hit rate on average was 52.5%. If you're hitting the ball at the hardest rate 50% of the time, you're going to learn how to hit pitchers, you're going to learn the tendencies of the league, and you're going to eventually break through. So I expect Evan White to have a great season. Now, playing in since, uh, excuse me, playing in Seattle, he's not going to have as many home runs, but I do think 20 to 25 home runs, and I think, kind of going on a limb, I think he could hit 280 to 300 this season and really provide a strong average which in turn is going to lead to him scoring more runs. So Evan, Evan White's definitely an exciting player. Yeah, and I think you did mention that Lowe had a hard hit rate in the whatever percentage you said, but I, be, I believe you meant to say Evan White, correct? Yes, so Evan, yeah, Evan okay. White's total numbers were exit velo of 91.7, and his hard hit rate was 52.5. 52.5, yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Which, again, going back to the league average, that's well above average. So when you look at guys that are going to kind of break out, you got to look at what's what's the hard hit rate. Are they making contact? You know, those are the really keys. But what's your uh, what's your pitcher for this coming year, Richie? Who are you excited about? So I am excited about Christian Javier, starting pitcher for the Houston Astros. As it sits right now, he is ranked the 61st starting pitcher on ESPN and 222nd overall. If we look at his numbers from last year, in 2020, he had 8.94 strikeout per nine which is not good he also had a 2.98 walk per nine which is kind of on the higher end and a 1.82 
home run per nine, which is also on the higher end. But like we were talking about with the dead ball, his exit velo is 86.9, which is on the very low end. And I think a lot of his home runs are going to go away with this happening. And if you look at what he did in the minors, for the past couple of years, he was averaging around 13 strikeouts per nine. So to have him at this 8.94, it might just be he's getting used to uh, the major leagues. And I think he can take that step forward if he can get close to that 11, 12, maybe even 13 Ks per nine. And his home run rate goes down, his ERA will in turn drop as well. And then it's going to come down to can he get control of his walks at 2.98. But where he's going right now, I think he can make make the leap and he's got the potential. Yeah, I fully agree. Looking at Javier's numbers, he was averaging 1.8 home runs per nine. And that's a, that's an atrocious number for a pitcher that wants to keep his ERA low. And kind of to your point, if he can lower that to say a 1.2 or even to simply a you know 1.0, I expect everything that you said to fully come true. Definitely exciting player to watch for, and I think this might be one of those guys that can, you can grab at the end of the draft and possibly slide into your three or your four in the rotation if you are looking to build more of a hitter-friendly lineup. I went ahead and went with Luke Weaver, so kind of a similar player in Javier. Didn't have the best 2020 season. He had an ERA well above four. But kind of taking a look at Luke Weaver's numbers today, I did see some exciting things. His numbers were very comparable in advanced stats from 2019, when he actually had a very strong season. And the average exit velo against him was only 89.8, so nothing outrageous. His hard hit rate was at 42%. I would like to see that come down, come in 2021. But again, a guy that I think has a lot of value when it comes to this dead ball, his average launch angle increased 5% against in 2020. And that's something also to look for. Players were certainly trying to hit him and hit him harder. So we'll see if he can limit the home runs. I still think Luke Weaver can be a three, maybe a two in a fantasy rotation. He's got to get his strikeouts back up. That was a really big key for him in 2019. But again, that Diamondbacks offense has to provide some support. And as they look to move forward and be a little bit more competitive in that NL West, which is going to be a challenge, they're going to need an ace. So my money's on Luke Weaver this season. Really excited to see what he does. Yeah, and I agree. I think my my biggest concern is he had injury concerns, I believe, was it? That wasn't last year. It was 2019. So I think my biggest concern with him is if he can stay healthy. And if he does, I think I think it will, will benefit him greatly. Yeah, I had watched a few Luke Weaver games last year, and control was definitely an issue. And he was getting himself in hard counts where you knew a fastball was coming. His average batted ball sweet spot was 36.4%. And that in itself is a little higher than you want it to be as well. Batters were simply teeing off on him because he was putting himself in bad positions. So someone to watch for. But again, if you can grab him maybe outside the top 150, I think you're looking at a strong player. Let's go ahead and, uh, and kick off the NL West. Did you have anything you wanted to add before we move on, Richie? No, I don't think so. Do you, uh, do you want to kick us off here? Do you want to start off with maybe the Padres or the Diamondbacks? Maybe the Rockies? Yeah, let's go. Let's go with uh, the flashy team in the NL West, which is going to be the San Diego Padres. They made a lot of offseason moves we've talked about in our first podcast, but I'll quickly go through their starting rotation as it sits right now. They got Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, Denelson Lamette, Joe Musgrove, and Chris Paddock. 
maybe later in the year, they'll also get Mike Clevenger back as well. And then for their starting uh, lineup, they have Austin Nola at catcher, Eric Hosmer at first, some sort of combination or platoon of Jake Croningworth, Jerickson Profar, and Sung Kim. I said I know I butcher it every time. Third base, they got Manny Machado, shortstop Tatis, and outfield they're going to have Pham, Grisham, Myers, and possibly mix in Profar and Croningworth in there as well. Uh, for closers, as it sits right now, they have Drew Pomerantz and Emilio Pagan. I would not be surprised if they made some sort of trade or move to bolster that or if they re-signed Trevor Rosenthal, still a free agent. Um, I think the biggest things to take away that we haven't touched about already is what to do with the second base position. Jake Croningworth is a potential breakout candidate for some people, but then they signed Profar to a multi-year deal, and then they signed Kim out of... Korea, I believe. And so now it now you wonder if he's going to have the playing time to actually have that. The other thing with Austin Nola, I kind of hoped that Luis Campusano, a top catching prospect, um, was going to have a chance to come up. And then they made that trade for Austin Nola last year. And that kind of dampered that. Um, we've talked on Trent Grisham before. Um, Tommy Pham, if he stays healthy, I think he can make an impact as well. But what what do you think, Matt? You want to touch base on any of these players? I mean, obviously, Tatis and Machado, we know they're studs. Yeah, absolutely. I think you make a great point with Capistrano. Uh, I think something that's encouraging is that they traded Magia. Right in the offseason, he was kind of blocking the way for any catching prospect to come up and get time. And Nola's going to have his time. He's going to play for maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, but I expect him to force his way onto that lineup sooner than later. Very exciting pitching rotation. We really have to watch what happens with these injuries. We need to see what Denilson Lamette has this spring and then to see if he can hold up throughout an entire season. But kind of crossing over to the team I'm going to highlight, the Padres are going to make the Dodgers sweat all year long. And one of the big reasons I think the Dodgers went ahead and grabbed Bauer was simply to compete with what the Padres have. And then you look at both lineups. I actually think the Padres have a much stronger lineup with Tatis and with Machado. You know, you've got guys like Will Myers who performed great last year. And then you have Trent Grisham, who me and you are both not very high on, but he has great counting numbers. So from a fantasy perspective, he's going to still perform. Kind of transferring over fully to the Dodgers now, though, very interested to see what they do with this rotation. I have Dustin May. I have Tony Gonsolin on one of my fantasy teams. Very excited about both of them up until about a week ago when Bauer was added. And now I'm very disappointed. Because as it stands right now, we have Kershaw 1, Bueller 2, Bauer 3, Urias 4, David Price 5, and possibly Dustin May or Tony Gonsolin coming in at 6. I'm really interested to see what happens with David Price. You know, you're a big fan of Julio Urias, obviously having him on your team. I think this may finally be his breakout season. And if not, that's going to open the door for Dustin May or Tony Gonsolin to kind of swoop in. But again, going back to the lineup, you know, obviously with Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger, they've got two studs. We obviously need to see a Cody Bellinger return to form this year. But my question marks are, A.J. Pollock, is he going to come back and play like he did last year? Or is he going to be injury-ridden like he always is? Corey Seager, can he reproduce what he did last year on an almost MVP level? And if he can, this lineup's looking very strong in comparison to my earlier comments. Any any comments from uh, from you, Richie, on the Dodgers? 
as, as far as I go, it's it's a lot of uncertainty right now. As it sits right now, Justin Turner is still a free agent. So their third base is still a, a big question mark. Are they going to put Max Muncy there? Are they going to use utility guy Chris Taylor? Is Gavin Lux going to finally come up and play second base like he was supposed to last year and be the superstar we all thought he could be? There's a lot of unknowns here, and I, I really hope that Gavin Lux can come up because I'm excited for his future. He's a Wisconsin native, so I, I also have a little bit of Homer in me coming out. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably what I'm most interested in, and it's a, a bummer we won't be able to see Gonsolin or May at their full potential. Yeah, I mean, I also have Gavin Lux in my dynasty. As much as I love him, the Dodgers have made me so frustrated over the last couple of years with prospects because, again, as you said, May and Gonsolin are very good pitchers. I think in most rotations, they're 3-4. I mean, if they're in Pittsburgh, they're one and two, but those guys have immense talent. Same thing with Lux. Get him out there for 140 games, he's going to hit, but you got to give, give the kid consistent playing time. So fingers crossed. I think the Dodgers, as you said, very inconsistent with the news that's coming out a lot of time before the season starts. And speaking of news, we have our first breaking news as we're recording this on Wednesday, 8 o'clock. Um... February 10th, it appears that Andrew Benintendi is going to be traded to the Kansas City Royals in a three-way trade with the Mets. Um, there's going to be more news to come, but just based on that news, what what do you think, Matt? What do you think about Benintendi going to the Royals? Love to hear it. Reporter Dick Franz out here breaking news. <laughs> How fantastic is that? And what a bummer for Andrew Benintendi. Yeah. Oh, that... gosh. Um, first reactions? Man, um, we had touched on him last week, and everything we said, I take it back. He is He's in trouble. That's a big ballpark, and it's a bad lineup. Man, we'll see. What, what are your thoughts? I, I, don't, I don't like it at all. I am very curious to see what the Mets are getting out of this deal, though, if it's prospects or if they're getting a big name. I know they were looking for a third baseman. Um, I, I can't think off the top of my head who... Uh, the Red Sox or Royals have for their base, if that's possibly involved or if they're just freeing up some money or, or what it is. But this is pending physicals and uh, medicals, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I don't like it for Benintendi. I drop him down as well. I don't like it. His supporting cast, in my opinion, goes down. Um, I have a name for you. What do you think yes. the chances that Whit Merrifield is headed to New York? I feel like I, I think it's slim mm-hmm. on the simple fact that the headliner for this is Andrew Benintendi. If Whit Merrifield was involved, I okay. feel he would have been the headline. Here. I agree. I agree with that. It'll be interesting, though. Like you said, what are the Mets trying to do here? Right? They lost out on Bauer. Maybe they're making a play. Yeah, we'll see. But I, I don't want to hold this up any longer. Just wanted to get that out there. So let's move on to the Rockies. So their starting lineup as it sits right now for pitchers is Herman Marquez, Kyle Freeland, Antonio Senzantella, John Gray, and Austin Gomer. Yikes. Um, for hitting, they have Elias Diaz. And as it sits on MLB.com right now, they're projecting Josh Fuentes at first base, Brendan Rodgers at second, Ryan McMahon at third, Story at short, and then in the outfield they have Ian Desmond, Romeo Tapia, Charlie Blackman. I disagree with this full-heartedly. 
for the simple fact that they don't have Garrett Hampson in here at all, whether it's in the outfield or at second base. I, I think I mentioned it in our Arenado talks when he got traded. I think that Brendan Rodgers can play third unless they truly don't think he has the defense. Um, maybe they move him to first, but I don't think Josh Fuentes is better than Rodgers or Hampson. Um, I could see them starting Fuentes and having Hampson at second, but there's no way Rodgers is starting over Hampson in my opinion. What are your initial thoughts, Matt? Yeah, it'll be. I think what's going to happen is spring training is going to shake a lot of this down. I'm looking at RotoChamps.com right now, and they're projecting a little different lineup. It's all hearsay, right? We got to get these guys in camp. We got to see where they're at physically. We got to see where their hand-eye coordination is at. I've been very excited for Brendan Rodgers, Garrett Hampson, and Ryan McMahon as well, as we kind of touched on in a previous podcast. But you got to play them, much like Gavin Lux. If you're not going to play them, what are we talking about here? Because again, these guys, if you put them on the field and they perform well as a rebuilding club like the Rockies, you now have something to look forward to. This roster as it stands today is not exciting in the slightest. And I also expect Trevor Story to be moved maybe by the end of the year or possibly at the beginning of next year. And Charlie Blackman's got not getting any younger. This team is in full rebuild now, and they need new assets. And right now, as it stands, they have Zach Veen in the minors. But the kid's 18 years old. He came right out of high school last year. He's nowhere near ready. I mean, that's not something to sell tickets for. And from a fantasy perspective, you know, maybe Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story are guys that I'm looking to grab a little bit later in the draft. Obviously, Story's going to be a, probably a top 25. Jermon Marquez can't pitch at home. He's basically only a road startable pitcher. So, yeah, this team, I think from a fantasy perspective, I personally want to stay away from. Yeah, and the only other thing I want to mention is at their closer position, they have Daniel Bard and Scott Oberg, neither of which have excelled or even shown flashes where they can help you, especially on a rebuilding team that's probably not going to put up a lot of run production and don't have the starting pitchers to put them in in winning situations deep into games. So I'm not interested in either of them as well. Man, it feels like the Brewers 2016 all over again. You know, just a, <laughs> just a pit of despair. Kind of moving along here, I'm going to touch on the Giants. Uh, very similar roster to the Rockies, right? They don't have a whole lot to be excited about. And I think with the Giants, one of the big perspectives we have to look at here is no DH, right? So Brandon Belt's going to be at first as of right now. You've got Buster Posey slotted into that catcher position. But we know that they have the up-and-coming Joey Bart. You know, where, where's Bart going to play, right? Are you going to take Brandon Belt out of the lineup? Are you going to trade him? You can't do anything really with Buster Posey other than put him at first or possibly let him catch. And I really want to see Joey hit. So I think the Giants are going to have to figure that out in spring training and possibly figure it out in April and May to give him the opportunity. And then the next big question mark, is Mike Yastrzemski the real deal, right? He was waiver wire pickup number one winner last year. He provided people that had a weak outfield with an amazing waiver wire pull. I want to see what his production is over a full season again. See if he can get that average maybe a little bit above 270, batted 269 last year. Donovan Solano, great average guy, great contact guy, almost no power. So they've got some pieces in this lineup that may produce some runs, but Power's just not there. I mean, Alex Dickerson, as of right now, looks like their best power guy outside of Brandon Belt. Then transitioning to their rotation, Kevin Gosman's there, Johnny Cueto, Anthony DeScalfini. Now that's a name that I like right there in that in that park. DeScalfini gave up a lot of home runs in Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. I want to see what he can do 
with the Giants, something I'll be keeping an eye on and maybe we'll touch on later in the preseason podcast. Wrapping out the rotation is Alex Wood, another nice name I like. We'll see what he can do. Did well with the Dodgers a couple of years ago. But overall, not really excited about the Giants. Kind of uh, going to put that one on pause for a little bit. Why don't we, uh, why don't we kick off the, the final one of the day and uh, talk about the Diamondbacks? Yeah, so I'll go through the starting lineup, and then we'll get your initial thoughts, Matt. So at starting pitcher, they have Madison Bumgarner, followed by Zach Gallen, Luke Weaver, who you mentioned a little bit earlier, Caleb Smith, and Merrill Kelly. At uh, their starting lineup, they have Carson Kelly, Christian Walker, Cattell Marte at second, Escobar at third, Nick Ahmed at short, and then in the outfield, they got Peralta, Dalton Varsho, and Willie Cal or not Willie Calhoun, Cole Calhoun, sorry. Um, and then it looks like for their relief pitcher, it's going to be some sort of competition between Crichton, Crichton, I always mix it up, and uh, Soria. So what, what are your initial thoughts when I say all those names, Matt? You know, I really like the rotation. Uh, obviously, I have Zach Gallen in one of my dynasty leagues. I got him from the aforementioned Reed Martin, who, again, is always fantastic to take advantage of. But Gallon didn't have necessarily the year I wanted him to last year. Had a fantastic finish on my bench because I couldn't trust him. Madison Bumgarner, we'll see. I love Bum. You know, he's always been one of my favorites, but he definitely was roughed up last year. And his, his pitches and his velocity just wasn't where they need to be. Caleb Smith, a little bit of a transition coming from Miami. We'll see what happens. I liked him there. I think he's a, a solid number five in most 12 or 14-man teams. And Luke Weaver, again, we've already touched on that. The big question is their number five, Merrill Kelly. I think this rotation, from a Brewers perspective, looks very nice. Now, transitioning to the lineup, Kentel Marte, a bit of a letdown last year. David Peralta had some injuries. Dalton Varsho, another Wisconsin guy, University of Milwaukee. Very exciting to see him kind of pushing his way into the major leagues. This is a raw, young team in a very competitive NL West. I look to watch some of these guys play through the year, maybe pick up Varsho midseason if I need a guy that's catcher eligibility. But other than that, I think their strong suit is the rotation. Those are the guys that I think I'll be looking to draft. Yeah, I'm I'm very worried about Cattell Marte for the simple fact that out of his home runs that he hit last year, five of them were doubters on the metric we were talking about earlier, and only one was a no-doubter. So now you take that away, and, I mean, his his home runs could significantly decrease. Not that he had a lot of power in the beginning, but now you're talking about somebody who might not even hit 20 home runs or 15 home runs. So it'll be interesting to see. I think he takes a hit for sure. Yeah, and he was a guy that I, was really hard for me to let go. I think it was 2019 keeper selection. And I just couldn't keep him. I said to myself, you know, his production in 2019 was exuberant beyond what his numbers showed. And I had watched a lot of Diamondback games. And man, to your point, they were barely wall scrapers. Really fun player. But those home run numbers, I just don't think they can hold up. A couple of guys that I am interested to see. They have a few outfielders that I really like coming up through the minor leagues. We'll see if they get the chance to finally come up and hit. I think one of them is uh, Anthony Thomas, or is it Zach Thomas? Uh, Al, I think it's Alec Thomas. Yes, yes. Very toolsy guy. 
and then they have a uh, Christian Rob or Kristen or Christian Robinson as well. But I don't see those guys coming up this year or maybe even next year. I think they're going to try to hold them down as much as possible. But a guy who intrigues me is Pavin Smith. Um, we'll see, see if he can come up. I know they originally got him as sort of a replacement for Goldschmidt when he was originally supposed to be gone, but he hasn't progressed the way that he's wanted them to or that the Diamondbacks have wanted to. So we'll, we'll see if he, if he can finally step up to the plate and make, make the leap. We don't have much data on what happened at the alternative training site last year. So like you said, we'll see what happens in spring training, but he is a player that I'm keeping an eye on because I think he can take over for Christian Walker. He's not much to write home about. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And if, if Pavin can't do that, I think another name to keep in mind is Seth Beer, right? They got him for the Grinky trade. And Beer, is a, he's a big-time hitter, like kind of a, a bat-first position second. They're going to have to find him a home. He's probably slated for DH, much like Kyle Schwarber will be down the road in his career. They've got some guys to keep an eye on. Definitely an exciting minor league. And uh, they had another guy. I'm blanking on his name, but he has an older brother, and he has significant power, like through the roof. You're talking about CJ, CJ Crone's brother. Yes, uh, yep. Kevin Crone. Yep. Kevin Crone. Except for he just strikes out too much, and I think pitchers at the major league level found out about him. And I, I mean, when he makes contact, wow, it's out of here. But it, that's the thing is he's got to figure out his swing and fix those holes. I don't know if he's got it in him. Yeah, it's interesting. So their father, if I remember correctly, is actually a college coach. So they come from a, a big baseball lineage family. And Kevin had a fantastic 2019 minor league year. I think he hit about 40 home runs. But when he came up to the major leagues in 39 games, he had six home runs and he batted 211 with 28 strikeouts over the course of 78 plate appearances. Again, like you said, just he can't make contact. So... Options, though, if the Diamondbacks are out of it and they want to move maybe Christian Walker, Pavin Smith, they don't feel as ready, maybe they give Crone another shot. But I think we could talk all day about the prospects for the Diamondbacks, kind of wrap this one up. Anything to finish things off for the viewer that you know? Um, other than I don't like the Diamondbacks hitting, but like, like we've already talked about, they've got a lot of great talent for the future, so I'm excited for the coming years. Yeah, and we'll touch more on that when we do our full roster breakdowns probably coming next offseason, get everyone really excited and dialed into what we're feeling for some of these guys. But I think we'll wrap it up for the day. Uh, thanks for joining me again, Richie. Had a lot of fun. And uh, remember to like and subscribe, you guys, and we will see you next time. Take care, guys.